Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. Last day before school starts. A lot of parents are really, really happy today. <clears throat> we are, uh, we're in a series that we've entitled The Call. And, and it's really just taking a look at, at how to find God's direction for your life. Um, because it's, it's the foundational belief is that, that God has a call on each of our lives. It's going to look different in each of us, but that doesn't diminish the fact God has called you and me. There's a calling on our lives. And we find meaning and we find purpose and we find significance when we discover God's call on our life. That's where it all comes from. And so we've been going through this. We started a couple weeks ago. And some of the discoveries that we've made um, is the first, all that we, first off that we are all called to follow. And we looked at Jesus' calling of Peter particularly, but James and John as well at the same time. And, and this idea of being called to follow him, it's all about trust and obedience and surrender to learn to say yes to God. And in fact, I gave you a sentence um, from that passage that we looked at. It was Peter's response um, when Jesus told him, you know, to let down your nets and, and you know, keep fishing. And they said, but Master, we've, we've fished all night. There's nothing out here. You know, we've, there's nothing, we've caught nothing. There's nothing here. But, and there's a sentence, and I told you, if you can learn this sentence, if you can apply this to your life, it will keep you out of so much trouble. Anybody remember the sentence? Because you say so. You got, you're a lot sharper than the first service, I'll tell you. <laughs> Give yourselves a hand. No. Um, yeah. Say it, say it again together with me for those of you who don't know it. Because you say so, I will. And the idea is this. God knows better. <laughs> and we think we've got a better handle on our lives and we know better decisions to make. But the truth is he knows. And he takes Peter at his specialty of fishing. And Peter, who says, I know how to fish, Lord. He says... But because you say so, I will. And he got the catch of his life. <laughs> and that's a really important principle. In fact, that is foundational to this whole, this whole series on, on finding God's call. So if you weren't here a couple weeks ago, please um, order the CD, go online, you know, listen to that because it is foundational to everything that we're talking about this month. So please catch up with the rest of us, all right? Um, now, last week we talked about God's call when it comes to your job or your career and, and what you do with your life. And one of the key learnings in that whole thing was that it's not so much what or where as much as it is how. That when it comes to your job, your career, it's not so much what or where, you know, what job you should go to, how you should. It's really about how. And the key sentence in that passage that we looked at was, whatever you do, do it with all your heart as for the Lord. And I gave you a homework assignment. Anybody? I won't ask for a show of hands. The homework assignment was, there's just one day this week. You don't even have to do it the whole week. Just one day. Just one day on your job. Just give it your best. Work as if you were working for the Lord. Give it all your heart. I hope you did that. If you haven't, you can try again next week, okay? Now, this week, we're in the third part of this whole deal, and it's about accountability. Because if God's put a calling on our life, then he's going to hold us responsible at the end for what we did with it. Did you discover it? Did you follow it? Did you fulfill it? Because that's the whole deal. It's, you know, to be called, but not to do anything with the call, it's just kind of ridiculous. So when we talk about calling, this is an unavoidable aspect of it. It's using what God has given us to fulfill our calling. And when I talk about that, yes, we're talking about your resources. Yes, we're talking about stuff. Yes, we are talking about money. 
And for some of you, I just lost you. Okay, but hang with me this morning um, because it's really an important aspect of this whole idea of following his call. I know it's a touchy subject, and, and, but it, it, you can't, it's unavoidable. It's one of the things Jesus talked about most. In fact, he said, it is the true revealer of our hearts. And if we're going to follow him with all our heart, we've got to take a good look at our heart. So Jesus told a story about this. Now, this is how Jesus taught. He didn't do a lot of lecturing, a lot of preaching. Mostly what he did was he told stories. He told stories about everyday common things that people would understand and applied them to kingdom principles. They're called parables. They're just stories. But here's one of them. It's in Matthew chapter 25. We want to follow along, beginning in verse 14. <clears throat> Talking again about the kingdom of heaven. He says this. It will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one, he gave five talents of money. To another, two talents. And to another, one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work, and he gained five more. So also the one with two talents gained two more. But the man who received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come, share in your master's happiness. The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come, share in your master's happiness. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you're a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown, gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid. And I went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. (laughs) So you knew that I harvested where I've not sown, gathered where I've not scattered seed? Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers. So then when I return, I would have received it with interest. Take the talent from him. Give it to the one who has the ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more, and he will have in abundance. And whoever does not have even what he has will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You ever wonder what gnashing of teeth is? That's like, mm, mm, I missed my opportunity. That's, that's gnashing of teeth, okay? It's just like, mm, blew it, okay? That's what's happening here. And the whole idea that Jesus is trying to get across in this story is that we're called to give an account. That he's entrusted some stuff to us, and it's up to us to make use of those things. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. What, using what God gave you to fulfill your calling. And there's a couple of just really, three observations that I want to make this morning. There's a lot more to this story than we can get into this morning in the time allotted. But let me just give you three really important observations. The first one is this, that each of us, each and every one of us, every one of us in this room, each of us have been entrusted with some of God's resources. Which means all of our life is a trust. That's what it is. Jesus said it will be like a man. The kingdom of heaven will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. There's the calling. He called them and entrusted property to them. This is your calling now. 
I've given you what it takes. Go with it. And the important aspect of this is to understand who's the owner. Because you see, it's really important. I cannot fulfill God's calling on my life until I settle the ownership issue. I just can't. You can't either. None of us can fully fulfill the calling on our life until we settle the ownership issue. And the Bible is really, really clear about all of this. Psalm 24, 1, David wrote this. The earth is the Lord's and what? Everything in it. And in case you didn't get that, it's the world and all who live in it. (laughs) You, that's you, that's me, you know. It's not just all the stuff. It's, it's you and me. We all belong to God. And this is tough for us to understand because ingrained, ingrained in our nature is the idea of mine. And, and it starts at a really young age. Nobody has to train us to say mine, okay? That just comes naturally. A two-year-old, after they learn mama and dada, the third word they learn is mine. Nobody has to train a child to learn that word. In fact, I picked this up um, this week. I found this on the internet. Pretty funny. Uh, it's property law. Property law according to a two-year-old. All right? This is how a two-year-old interprets property law. If I like it, it's mine. If it's in my hand, it's mine. If I can take it from you, it's mine. If I had it a little while ago, it's still mine. If it looks like mine, it's mine. If I saw it first, it's mine. If I can see it, it's mine. (laughs) If I think it's mine, it's mine. If I want it, it's mine. If I say it's mine, it's mine. If I'm playing with it, it's mine. If you're playing with it and you put it down, it's mine. If it will upset me when you take it away from me, it's mine. If it's broken, it's yours. (laughs) No, wait, the pieces are still mine. (laughs) Two-year-olds can be so deluded. We look at that and we just laugh because we know they've done nothing to earn or deserve. None of this have they purchased for themselves. None of it's theirs. They are so deluded, those two-year-olds. And then they grow up, and they become deluded 22-year-olds and deluded 52-year-olds because we got ingrained in our nature. It's mine. It's mine. I worked for this. I earned this. I paid for this out of my own money. Well, I paid for it out of the bank's money, but I'm still paying them, so technically I'm paying them. It's mine. And that's why God keeps saying over and over again, it's not yours. It's not yours. It's been given to you for a while, but it's not yours. You've got to settle this ownership issue. And when you get clear on ownership, then everything else gets changed. It changes your perspective. It changes your attitude. It changes your behavior. It changes your actions. It changes your responsibility. I have the best of both worlds. I crew on a boat every Thursday night during the summer racing, sailboat. And the owner of the boat has given me a key to the boat and said, Whenever you want to take it out, feel free. That is like the best of both worlds. Got to get all the benefits of owning a boat with none of the responsibility. (laughs) But I don't take her up on it all that often. 
I'm very judicious about when I take advantage of that. And let me tell you, when I take the boat out, I am really, really, really careful. I am much more careful because it's not mine. Because if I damage the boat, not only do I have to replace the parts, I got to do something about the relationship because it's going to hurt it. And that's the idea. It's not mine, so I treat it differently. The word the Bible uses for this concept is stewards, that we are stewards of God's resources. Now, that's not a word we use anymore in, in our English. It's a word, it's translated from the old back in the King James, back when they said those kind of words. But, but really what it means is you're a trustee. You've been given a trust. It's not your money, but it's been entrusted to you. If you are, if you are an ex- executor of a trust, it is your job to make sure that what is in the trust gets distributed where it's supposed to go and gets invested where it's supposed to be. That's what it means to be a trustee. We are all asset managers. Doesn't that make you feel important? You are an asset manager. And our world gets into real trouble when we forget that. A lot of the problem our nation is suffering, the whole world is suffering right now economically, comes just down to the simple fact people thought it was theirs. Bernie Madoff thought that money was his. Well, he schemed to make it his. He didn't understand. It's not your money. When the bailout happened for AIG, and, and you know, it's like, well, you know, nobody likes this, but I guess we got to do it kind of a thing, and then found out that the top executives were getting bonuses out of that money, everybody was up in arms. Everybody, how can they do that? It's not their money, and it's not yours. And that's a principle we got to get, and it is probably the hardest concept in the world to embrace, and I use the word embrace, not learn or know, because I can know it and not embrace it. I'm a trustee. You are a trustee, and we often get so confused about this, and so God has to keep reminding us over and over. He says it in Scripture. In fact, this is what he did with the nation of Israel when they were moving into the land that God had promised them. And, and just before they moved in, Joshua sat the people down and, and spoke the words of God to them. And here's one of the things that God said to this nation. Because they're about to, God has opened up this whole land of Canaan. It's all going to be theirs. It's going to be the nation of Israel now. And they're about to move into it. But he said, when you move in, here's some things you've got to remember. And one of the things he said you've got to remember is it's a gift. It's not yours. And in fact, he said, he said you really need to remember this because you're going to forget this. You may say to yourself, Deuteronomy 8, 17, you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. I earned it. I worked for it. Where did you get those talents and skills? From God. See, every aspect of it. Every aspect of it. But we keep forgetting. And so one of the things that God did with the nation of Israel, in fact, it starts even before the nation, but it was put into the, uh, the law, was um, this concept. It's a very, very practical reminder on a regular basis. It's called the tithe. Literally, it means just 10%. And what God said is, whatever you bring in, 10% of it you give back to me. It goes back to the temple. It goes back to the work of God. 10%. Now, here's the beauty of that, Okay. Everybody can do it. Because he didn't set a dollar amount. He didn't say something. He just said, everybody, 10%. 10%. 
And by the way, it was never intended to be legalistic because sometimes when I talk about this, people come to me, okay, 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 so what? So it's 10%. Okay, I got that. Now, is it 10% of the gross or 10% of the net? And it's like the question is, how much do I have to give without God being mad at me? You know, what's the bare minimum and God won't get mad at me? You know, it's like if you treated Mother's Day that way, you know, what's the smallest card I could buy my mom and still not have her be mad at me? You give, not as a legalistic thing. It's a training tool. It's really what it is. In fact, that's what Deuteronomy 14, 23 says. He says the purpose of tithing is not to enforce the law. The purpose of tithing is to teach you. The purpose of tithing is to teach you always to fear the Lord your God, to respect the Lord your God, to honor and revere the Lord your God, to trust the Lord your God. 10% giving is giving with training wheels. That's what it is. He said you do this to teach yourself to learn this whole idea that we're to live generous lives because we serve a generous God. And he says it's a priority. You do it off the top. You do it planned in a regular sort of way, and you do it by percentage. Planned priority percentage giving. We talk about that a lot around here. That's what it is. And God instituted that, not as a law, just to be legalistic about it. He put it in place to remind us it's not mine. And if I cannot give up 10% of it, who am I saying owns it? You need to learn this. You need to learn this. Because here's what happens. When I give, I start to take part in my master's work. When I give, I become generous just like my master. I touch other people's lives. I help those who are in need. I invest in God's kingdom and his likeness is formed in me. I give so that children can learn about the grace of God. I give so that high school and middle school students can learn and find out about God's forgiveness and the strength of a source of strength that will carry them throughout their lives. I give. I give so my church family can be strengthened. I give so we can have an impact in our communities. I give so that God's word could be taught and that those who don't know him can find him. I give. I give so that God can use part of what I'm given to do something great. For eternity, I give because God has been generous with me. And I trust that he will provide all that I need. That's really what it is. God has given you and me all kinds of resources. And it's not just money. It's your time. It's your skills and your abilities. It's this whole idea of learning to live with a call on your life. It's reinforcing this whole idea. Whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord. That's the whole concept here. It's all of my resources. It's whatever it is. I give it back to God. And you and I have been given so much, so much. And our calling then is to use what God gives for his purposes. That's the calling. He's given this to us. We've got this trust. We are now trustees of this thing. We are asset managers of God's resources. And now my job is, as a trustee, to use what he's given me for his purpose. So you read, the story goes on. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Now you need to understand something about this. Because if you don't understand this, you don't really get the story. The people Jesus is telling this to, they understood it because they knew what this was all about. 
Okay? What the master is doing is he is giving his servants the chance of a lifetime. He is, he is giving them a chance for success. They will never see this kind of money ever in their lives. Because we read the story and we go, one talent. Well, what did you expect? You know, what's somebody going to do with a penny? Okay? A talent was not a coin. A talent was a unit of measurement. It was a measure of weight. And it varied throughout history, but in essence, it was, it was a weight measurement of an amount that represented an amount of money. And what it did, it's, it, and it's kind of differing ideas of what this is, at bare minimum, it meant 6,000 denarii. Some of the high-end estimates are like 10,000 denarii. A denarii was a day's wage. Okay, so to translate that into now current terms, the minimum wage in California is $8 an hour. So, if you take minimum wage, $8 an hour, and you multiply that out, that comes out to anywhere from $384,000 to $640,000. This was not chump change. This was a significant amount of money, somewhere in the neighborhood of half a million dollars for the one-talent guy. I mean, people will buy lottery tickets for that kind of money. This is real stuff. This is seed money. That's what he's doing. He is giving them seed money so they can take the chance to try their hand at this, that they could take initiative and test their skills in the marketplace and see what they could do with this huge amount that he has given to them. And also what it was, not only was it a chance of a lifetime, it was also a vote of confidence. What he was saying to these guys is, I trust you. I got confidence in you. Because you notice he says, he gave it to each according to his ability. Not everybody got five talents. He knew what each of them could handle. He knew the one talent guy. Okay, he's getting started in this whole thing. You know, we're just going to, he gets one talent. He can handle one talent, but that's all he can handle. So we're giving him one talent. The five talent guy, maybe he's been at this a little bit longer. He has a better feel for the market. I got better trust in him. We'll give him five talents, okay? But the one talent guy wasn't responsible for the five talents. He was just responsible for his one. The master knew what he could handle, and he didn't expect any more of him than what he thought he could handle. But what he was doing was saying, I trust you with this. I think you can do this. I believe in you. And what he is doing is he is giving them a share in his work. He's giving them a share in his work so that they can also share in his success. This was a lifetime opportunity. And he gives them a chance to share in his work so they can share in his success. And that's why the response when they bring it back to the first two guys is, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. That was an attaboy to end all attaboys. But it wasn't just an attaboy. It was a promotion with a bonus and profit sharing thrown in. You know, that's what he's saying. Yeah, you, you show yourself... I'll give you more to handle because you can handle it. I know you can. And that's what he's doing. He's giving them a chance to share in the success of his own business. Now, just imagine for a moment what it would be like to someday stand before God and hear him say those words. Well done. Well done. Good, faithful servant. You have shown yourself to be good. Good job. I knew you could do it. 
It did good. Also, though, there was a small window of opportunity. This opportunity wasn't going to be available forever. It was a limited time offer. And that's why it says the man who had received the five talents, and also, by the way, the two talent man, went at once and put his money to work. He went at once because maybe the master will change his mind. You know, I, I don't have much time to make this happen. I don't know how long he's going to be gone. I don't know when he's coming back, but I better get started now. And I hear so many people say, you know, someday I will do that. Some, I believe in it. Someday I will do that. Someday I will, I will get involved in a ministry. Someday when things settle down, when I've got a little bit more time, then I'll get involved. Someday I'll give to God's work because I really believe in it and I want to be a part of it, but I, you know, it just right now I just can't do it. But someday I will. There's a limited window of opportunity. Because truthfully, your life and mine is very, very short. And we're to make the most of what we've got right now. And the choices that you and I make today have impact and results in the future. Some of those will be in the future of our life here on this earth. Some of them will be all the way into eternity. But make no mistake, the choices that you make today have an impact in the future. It is what Andy Stanley calls the principle of the path. And it's a biblical principle. And he writes about it. In fact, he actually wrote, wrote a book entitled The Principle of the Path, oddly enough. But let me just read to you just a little bit of what he writes about. Because especially when it comes to this whole idea of stewardship, he said, this is the thing we don't get. He says, our, our problem stems from the fact that we are not on a truth quest. We are on a happiness quest. We want to be, as in, feel happy. And our quest for happiness often turns our, our appreciation for and often trumps our appreciation for and the pursuit of what's true. My coffee costs about $4 a cup. That's ridiculous. Inexcusable in the light of the needs of the world today. That's $80 a month if I skip weekends. I could sponsor two more kids through Compassion International for less than that. What's wrong with me? Well, I'm on a happiness quest. And soy lattes contribute to my happiness. In fact, as I learned a few years ago, when I quit drinking coffee for a few months, my soy lattes contribute to the happiness of my staff as well. I actually had a key staff member call me aside and tell me in no uncertain terms that I was a lot more fun to be around when I was drinking coffee. That was all the excuse I needed. If you have perfectly good clothes that you never wear hanging in your closet, but you plan to go do a little shopping later this week, what's that about? Why would you buy more clothes when you don't wear the ones you already have? Answer, because when you wear something new and stylish, you feel better about yourself. Happy. When you put on last year's model, you feel a little bit last yearish, unhappy. And you don't want to feel that way. So when you head for the mall, you aren't simply shopping for clothes. You are in search of the happy feeling that comes from looking good. Have you ever traded in or accidentally dropped a perfectly good cell phone for a newer model? Do you own an iPhone? Ouch. <laughs> Did you spend a ridiculous amount of time and energy trying to finagle your way out of an old contract so you could get the specific phone your carrier didn't provide? Have you ever carried two contracts for a while just because you couldn't wait? And I'll save cars and trucks for later, but you get the point. As smart as we are and as aware as we are that life is connected and decisions today shape experiences tomorrow, we still don't wake up in the morning in search of truth, insight, and enlightenment. We get up, 
and do the thing that makes us happy. We are all on a happiness quest. When happiness points in one direction, while wisdom, truth, integrity, and common sense point in another, that's when really smart people start doing really stupid things. And it's true. And it's true. The choices that we make today have implications in our future. And not just in this life, but in eternity. And that means my money and my time and my talents and my skills. It's not pick one from column A. It's all of the above. It all belongs to God. And I am a trustee of it. And it is my job, my calling, to use what he's given me to serve his purposes. And then, then, when it comes to fulfilling God's call, and this is the key thing, I had never really seen this before. Until this week, as I was studying this and, and preparing the message, I had never really caught on to this. I kind of halfway kind of sort of knew in the back of my brain, but I never saw it as clearly as I did this week. And it's this, what we believe about God determines how we will serve him. What we truly believe about God determines how we handle his resources. See, it's what we truly believe about God that dictates the choices that we make about the use of our time and our talents and our money and our resources. It really comes down to what we believe about God. The man who got the one talent said, went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. Now, here's the thing that we cannot avoid. It is a sobering truth, but we cannot avoid it. The Lord of the gift and the Lord of the reward is also the Lord of accounts. And every one of us will be held accountable. Our life is a trust, and somewhere down the line, there's going to be an audit done on the books. One day, we're all going to give account. And the question is going to be, what did you do with what I gave you? Now, there's a unique feature in this parable. It's different than many of the other stories that Jesus told. Because many times when Jesus would tell stories, tell these parables, um, there were usually just two characters or two groups involved. And that, that's most of them. I mean, you think about it, okay? Um, you think about there was a wise builder and a foolish builder. Okay, there were two sons, the prodigal son and the stay-at-home son. Uh, there, there's, there's the wheat and the tares. There's the sheep and the goats. Even the parable of the ten virgins, there's two groups of them, the five foolish ones, the five wise ones. Okay? That's typically the pattern because what he's doing, is he's, he's comparing what's the right choice with the, what's the wrong choice. But this one's a little bit different. He uses three characters. He kind of wonder, well, why does he do that? And I think it's this because it's not about the amount that's given. Because you would expect with three people, when the guy brings back five talents and, you know, he's done so much, you know, he's brought the biggest return, you expect him to get a bigger reward. And the two-talent guy, well, he did good, but he didn't do as good as a five-talent guy, so he gets a reward, but not as good a reward. But they get the exact same commendation. And the point, I think, is this. That it's not about the amount that was given to them, and it's really not even about the accomplishment. What it's really about is faithfulness. That's what this story is about. The question is not, what did you do with somebody else's gift? The question you'll be asked is, what did you do with yours? Because sometimes we look at other people and we say, well, I can't do that. I can't do the other. I can't give like that. I can't do that kind of ministry. Nobody's asking you to. Just do the one God gave you to do. 
Just give what God has given to you to do. See, that's the whole thing. It's not about the amount. In fact, we know this is true. We know this is true because when he chastises the last guy, he doesn't condemn him. Because, In fact, what he says is, if you knew I was that kind of a guy, you should have at least put it on deposit with the banker so I'd get interest. He would have been willing to settle for interest. 1% even. Any kind of return would have been acceptable because what he wanted to know is that you were faithful. He did nothing. And that's why the response to him is, you wicked, lazy serpent. Because laziness is not about activity. It's about faithfulness. He did nothing. He took no risks. He didn't give any tryouts. He didn't invest in anything. And so he did not partner with the master in his work. And because he did not pastor, par- partner with the master, he had no share in the reward. And really what it comes down to, even beyond faithfulness, what it really comes down to, and this is the thing that I had not ever seen before, what it really comes down to is this. He didn't know the master. He didn't know the master. He'd worked for him maybe all these years, but he didn't really know him. Because when he gives an account, this is what he says. He says to his master, I knew that you are a hard man. In fact, he even kind of smears his character a little bit. You're a hard man, harvesting where you've not even sown, gathering where you've not even scattered seed. But he doesn't know his master because that's not his master at all. His master was generous. His master is good. His master is rewarding. His master is is kind. His master was giving him all that he needed to do to succeed. His master was a great, good, gracious, good, generous, good man. And he never understood that. And that, to me, is the tragedy of the story. It is the saddest part of the whole thing because he had the chance to get to know his master. And he didn't. He never really knew him. He never really knew how generous and good and kind and rewarding and celebrative his master was. That his master would provide whatever he needed. That his master would have been satisfied with any kind of investment, any kind of return. If he had just done something, he never understood the goodness of his master. And you know what? Part of me really, really believes this. Part of me really believes God is good and generous and faithful and he provides beyond what I can ever imagine. There's a part of me that believes that with all of my heart. There's a part of me that wants to believe it with all of my heart. But in truth, as I stand before you this morning and I look at my own actions and behavior, there's a part of me that doesn't. There's a part of me that doesn't know the goodness of my master. There's so many things I will trust God with. And my wife and I have been faithful in the idea of tithing. In fact, beyond that now, as we've learned a little bit more about this, but there are still parts of my life that I don't believe it. And it pains me to say it, except that I know I'm in good company. (laughs) 
Because I bet every one of us in this room, if we looked at our behavior and our actions, we would say we believe it. We would even, in some ways, show that we really believe it and want to really believe it. But if we looked at our behavior and our actions when it comes to handling God's resources, there's a part of each and every one of us that doesn't believe it's true. And that's the saddest part of all. And as I've studied this this week, I think that's the point of the story. Do you really want to get to know your master? Do you want to see how generous he is? Do you want to experience partnership in his work in this world? Do you want to have a place in in saying that you did something to contribute to the kingdom of God? See, that's what he's asking for here. And part of me believes it, and part of me doesn't. And I don't know why, because God has made it perfectly clear. All throughout human history, at creation... He created this whole beautiful universe. And he created the world and he created the garden and he gave it to Adam and Eve, the man and the woman. He said, now, just take care of it. Enjoy it, but take care of it. And they blew it. So God came along and he gave a second chance and he said with Noah, okay, now, fresh start. You guys, you do it. And they blew it. And so he kept trying over and over again. And he sent the prophets and he said, listen, this is what it's about. This is how you live your life. This is what it means to follow God and to honor God. This is what it means to live a righteous life. Not some pious prune faced thing. It's about real life. This is what it looks like. And we blew it. And it comes to our day and age. And it's our turn. And we blow it. And the truth is, we should never doubt the goodness and the generosity of our God. Because he's made it abundantly clear over and over and over again throughout human history. And the biggest, clearer vision of it was in Jesus. Paul writes about it to the Philippian church. Speaking of Jesus, he made himself nothing. He who had everything, who had right to say, mine, and it was. He made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. The God of creation becomes a servant to show his servants how to live. To show his servants how to invest in the kingdom. To show his servants what this whole thing about mastering God's money and and taking care of his resources is all about. He came to show it, and he came to clear up all the past and to give us the fresh start one more time. And we need never doubt the goodness and generosity and love and mercy and grace of our God. We need never doubt that because he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And we need never doubt the character of God again. We need never doubt his generosity, his faithfulness, his grace. But we're all still learning. Because like I said, there's a part of me that believes it. There's a part of me that still doesn't. But I know this. I want to get to know my master better. I want to get to know him better. Would you bow your heads with me? Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California.